welcome to Even Darker. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for joining me as I delve into my fascination of fairy tales and myths. In each episode, Jastonette will tell us a story. Then I, Regina Drake, will review the points of the fairy tale I found most interesting, dark, or downright unforgivable. If possible, I will share with you the suspected origin of the tale, hence the even darker. Take heed. These stories are the original early content, not the Big Mouse version. No shade on him, but this is not for the young. For our sixth episode, I have chosen Cinderella for your listening pleasure. The first version we will cover is Rhodopis, the Egyptian Cinderella. The country is Egypt. The author is a Greek historian by the name of Strabo. The year it's first recorded is uh, thought to be late 1st century BC or early 1st century AD. And now for our story. A young girl named Rhodopis is kidnapped and taken away from her home in Greece. She is sold as a slave to a kind but elderly Egyptian man who never seems to notice her mistreatment by household servants. Her name means rosy-cheeked because her skin is burned red from the hot Egyptian sun, while the other girls have dark and coppery skin. Rhodopis befriends the animals and, despite her hard life, finds joy in singing and dancing. One day, when her master sees her dancing joyfully, he rewards her with a pair of lovely rose-red slippers gilded with gold. Although Rhodopis is not taken along to see the pharaoh when he holds court for all his subjects, she gains the pharaoh's attention when one of her tiny slippers is stolen by a great falcon, symbol of the god Horus. The bird drops the tiny slipper onto the lap of a bored and yawning pharaoh who is holding court. Amasis is determined to find the owner of the slipper, and of course, the search eventually leads him to Rhodopis, who is able to show him the shoe's mate. The tale ends with a comment by Pharaoh that shows that even in ancient times when slavery was common and there was little acceptance of class differences, the beginnings of tolerance were present when a Pharaoh dared to marry a slave. Amasis describes Rhodopis as the most Egyptian of all, for her eyes are as green as the Nile, her hair as feathery as papyrus, and her skin the pink of a lotus flower. And now for a slightly different version where she is a courtesan who has now become quite successful and wealthy. And here's the rest of the story. That after Rhodopis had become successful and wealthy, she bought a fine house with a pool in the garden. And while she was bathing there one day, an eagle swooped down and stole one of her sandals, carried it to nearby Sassis, and dropped it in Pharaoh's lap. The monarch, of course, was fascinated 
by the strange omen and by the richness and beauty of the sandal, and so sent men throughout the capital and other nearby cities to discover who the owner of the dainty lost shoe might be. Rodolphus maids had, of course, gossiped about the singular occurrence at their mistress bath, and by this word came to Pharaoh, who summoned the Hetera to the palace. When he beheld her beauty, he interpreted the omen as a sign that he should marry her, and she therefore became queen of Egypt, and they lived happily ever after. There is controversy surrounding this story as to whether this woman was involved in the building of one of the pyramids and so on and so forth, but most of that, from what I found, was debunked. But I urge you to take a look into it. It is interesting. Uh, Also, she was a slave from Greece. We know that from the story. But she was also held with another slave, which was Aesop of Aesop's Fables, which was someone I listened to when I was young. And I don't know that I knew that he was a slave. How sad. Anyway, they were both taken by their master, Samos, to Egypt during Pharaoh Amasis' reign, which was from 570 to 536 BC. Odopus was freed by the brother of Sappho, a lyric poet of the time, for a large sum of money. Sadly, we have lost the true saga of Cinderella. What a journey. She was a slave to a courtesan that made good by marrying a pharaoh. Instead, the modern-day version of an abusive family and slavery to housework. I think I'd rather be a courtesan. Our Cinderella's of today are still dancing, aren't they? But they have a pole. (laughs) This story really set men up for failure and women to keep looking for a bigger wallet, too, in my opinion. But anyway. Our next story is from Ireland. Boy, those Irish are long-winded. Due to the length of this version, I'm going to summarize the beginning only because it's pretty much the same as our modern-day Disney version. This story is called Fair, Brown, and Trembling. These are the names of three sisters, the abusive ones being Fair and Brown, while our Cinderella is Trembling. Trembling is helped by a henwife instead of a fairy. Instead of showing up at a ball in her beautiful dresses, Trembling goes to church. She shows up late and leaves early before anyone can find out who she is. She is not recognized by her family, who makes her stay home every Sunday. We pick up the story where the prince, who hid outside the church to try and catch this mysterious beautiful woman, misses his chance, and Trembling gallops away before he can catch her, but her shoe falls off, and the prince picks it up. As promised, now for even darker. After Trembling had disappeared from the church, the son of the king of Omania said to the other king's sons, I will have that lady for my own. 
They all said, you didn't win her just by taking that shoe off her foot. You'll have to win her by the point of the sword. You'll have to fight for her with us before you can call her your own. Well, said the king, the son of the king of Omania, when I find the woman that the shoe will fit, I will fight for her, never fear, before I leave her to any of you. Then all the king's sons were uneasy and anxious to know who was she that lost the shoe. And they began to travel all over Aaron to find out could they find her. The prince of Omania and all the others went into a great company together and made a round of Aaron. They went everywhere, north, south, east, west. They visited every place where a woman was to be found and left not a house in the kingdom that they did not search to know that they could find the woman the shoe fit, not caring whether she was rich or poor, of high or low degree. The prince of Omania always kept the shoe, and when the young woman saw it, they had great hopes for it was of a proper size, neither large nor small, and it would beat any man to know what material it was made. One thought it could fit her if she cut a little from her toe, and another, with too short a foot, put something in the tip of her stocking. But no use. They only spoiled their feet and were curing them for months afterwards. The two sisters, fair and brown, heard that the princes of the world were looking all over Aaron for a woman who could wear the shoe. And every day they were talking of trying it on. And one day Trembling spoke up and said, Maybe it's my foot that the shoe will fit. Oh, the breaking of a dog's foot on you. Why say so when you were at home every Sunday? They were wait- <clears throat> they were that way waiting and scolding the younger sister till the princes were near. That day that they came, the sisters put trembling in a closet and locked the door on her. When the company came to the house, the prince of Omania gave the shoe to the sisters. But though they tried and tried, it would fit neither of them. Is there another young woman in the house? Asked the prince. There is, said Trembling, speaking up from the closet. I'm here. Oh, we have not her for nothing but to put out the ashes, said the sisters. But the prince and the others wouldn't leave the house till they had seen her. So the two sisters had to open the door. When Trembling came out, the shoe was given to her and it fit exactly. The Prince of Omania looked at her and said, You are the woman, the shoe fits. You are the woman I took the shoe from. Then Teremling spoke up and said, Do you stay here till I return? Then she went to the henwife's house. The old woman put on the cloak of darkness, got everything for her she had the first Sunday at church, and put it on a white mare in the same fashion. And then Trembling rode along the highway to the front of the house, All who saw her the first time said, this was the lady we saw at the church. Then she went away a second time, and a second time came back on the black mare in the second dress which the henwife had given her. All who saw her the second Sunday said, that is the lady we saw at church. A third time, she asked for a short absence and soon came back on the third mare and in the third dress, and all who saw her the third time said, That is the lady we saw at the church. Every man was satisfied and knew that she was the woman. 
Then all the princes and great men spoke up and said to the king, uh, the son of the king of Omania, you will have to fight now for her before we let you her go with you. I'm here before you, ready for combat, answered the prince. Then the son of the king of Lachlan stepped forward. The struggle began, and a terrible struggle it was. They fought for nine hours, and then the son of the king of Lachlan stopped, gave up his clan, and left the field. Next day, the son of the king of Spain fought six hours and yielded his claim. On the third day, the son of the king of Nifoy fought for eight hours and stopped. The fourth day, the son of the king of Greece fought six hours and stopped. On the fifth day, no more strange princes wanted to fight, and all the sons of the kings in here said they would not fight with a man of their own land, and that the strangers had had their chance, and as no others came to claim the woman, she belonged of right to the son of the king of Omania. The marriage day was fixed, and the invitations were sent out. The wedding lasted for a year and a day. When the wedding was over, the king's son brought home the bride, and the time came a son was born. The young woman sent for her eldest sister, Fair, to be with her and care for her. One day, when trembling was well, and when the husband was away hunting, the two sisters went out for a walk. And when they came to the seaside, the eldest pushed the youngest sister in. A great whale came and swallowed her. The eldest sister came home alone, and the husband asked, Where is your sister? She's gone home to her father in Bali Shannon. Now that I am well, I don't need her. Well, said the husband, looking at her, I'm in dread. It's my wife that is gone. Oh, no, she said. I, it's my sister Fair that's gone. Since the sisters looked very much alike, the prince was in doubt. That night he put his sword between them and said, If you are my wife, the sword will get warm. If not, it will stay cold. In the morning when he woke up, the sword was as cold as when he put it there. It happened when the two sisters were walking by the seashore that a little cowboy was down by the water minding cattle and saw a fair push trembling into the sea. And the next day the tide came in, he saw the whale swim up and throw her out onto the sand. When she was on the sand, she said to the cowboy, When you go home in the evening with the cows, tell the master that my sister fair pushed me into the sea yesterday that a whale swallowed me and threw me out but will come again and swallow me with the coming of the next tide then he'll go out with the tide and come back for tomorrow's tide and throw me again on the strand the whale will cast me out three times i'm under the enchantment of this whale and cannot leave the beach or escape myself unless my husband comes to save me before I'm swallowed the fourth time. I shall be lost. He must come back and shoot the whale with a silver bullet when he turns on the broad of his back. Under the breast fin of the whale is a reddish-brown spot. My husband must hit him in that spot, for it is the only place in which he can be killed. When the cowboy got home, the eldest sister gave him a draught of oblivion, and he did not tell. The next day he went again to the sea. The whale came and cast trembling onto the shore again. She asked the boy, Did you tell the master what I told you to tell him? I did not, he said. I forgot. How did you forget? She asked. 
The woman of the house gave me a drink that made me forget. Well, don't forget telling him this night. And if she gives you a drink, don't take it from her. As soon as the cowboy came home, the eldest sister offered him a drink. He refused to take it until he had delivered his message and told that all to the master. The third day, the prince went down with his gun and a silver bullet in it. He was not long down when the whale came and threw Tembling on the beach as two days before. She had no power to speak to her husband till he'd killed the whale. Then the whale went out, turned over once on the broad of his back, and showed the spot for a moment only. That was the moment that the prince fired. He had but one chance, and a short one, but he took it and hit the spot, and the whale, mad with pain, made the sea all around red with blood and died. That minute, Trembling was able to speak and went home with her husband, who sent word to her father uh, that the el- what the eldest sister had done. The father came, told him any death he chose to give her, he could give it. The prince told the father he would leave her life and death with himself. The father had her put out to sea in a barrel with provisions in it for seven years. In time, Trembling had a second child, a daughter. And the prince and she sent the cowboy to school and trained him up as one of their own children and said, if the little girl that is born to us now lives, no other man in the world will have her but him. And the cowboy and the prince's daughter lived on until they were married. And the mother said to the husband, you could not have saved me from the whale, but for the little cowboy on that account, I don't grudge him my daughter. And the son of the king of Omania and trembling had 14 children. They lived happily until the two died of old age. Fair, Brown, and Trembling is recorded as far back as 1697 and is also known as the Little Glass Slipper. The Grimm Brothers did their version in 1812, followed by Disney's version in 1950. This story has a Korean and there is also a Persian version. I hope you weren't let down by not hearing the whole story. A funny part that I kept from you was about the third gown. Cinderella is famous for showing up in these beautiful gowns of gold and silver and dipped in jewels. In this story, the third dress is the colors of the Irish flag. (laughs) I also love the fact that in Ireland, trembling goes to church, not a ball. Also, I find it hard to think of an Irish girl or a woman called trembling. I always think of Irish women as being forthright and brave, so trembling doesn't quite do it for me. Oh, and henwife. Had to look that up. In Scottish, Irish, and English folktales, henwives are often associated with the supernatural and characterized as a source of wisdom and healing. Other definitions said they don't like men, but that doesn't really make sense to this story. Also, something I found interesting is the rule of three. Three was considered the perfect number, the number of harmony, wisdom, and understanding. It was also the number of time, past, present, future, birth, life, death, beginning, middle, end. It is the number of the divine.
Hmm. I wonder if that's why there are three fates too, huh? All right. So what'd you think? Let's review. Trembling stuffed in a closet when the prince arrives with the shoe. Love Jay's closet voice. It was right out of Monty Python. Uh, how about the women maiming themselves to marry the prince? Uh, the prince and the lords all fighting for eight hours. This is a fairy tale. <laughs> One part I don't get at the start of the story, which you didn't hear. I'll read it for you. They would not let her go out of the house. That's trembling at all for she was more beautiful than the other two. Okay. So here's what I don't understand. Later in the story, Fair comes to help after the first child is born. Fair pushes Trembling into the sea. She returns to the husband, the prince, pretending to be Trembling. How is that possible if... Anyway. Thank goodness the prince was suspect, placing the sword between them in the bed. I also looked up the sword in the bed. Uh, we first heard about this in the Swedish, actually the Viking version of Sleeping Beauty. The sword in the bed represents a pledge to abstain from sex. Dun, da, da, da. I love the cowboy and the whale. Were you expecting a whale in Cinderella? I was not expecting a whale. And him spitting her onto the beach. <laughs> and if that's not enough, swallowing her again, spitting out three. Here's the three again. Yikes, how awful. The prince killing the whale and having to hit the very spot with the silver bullet, no less, right? It made me, of course, think of um, smog, right? Last but not least, the offending fair's punishment. Put in a barrel with provisions in it for seven years <laughs> that is some barrel and now for our weekly installment of Pinocchio chapter 2 Maestro Cherry gives his piece of wood to his friend Geppetto who takes it to make himself a marionette that will dance, fence, and turn somersaults. In that very instance, a loud knock sounded on the door. Come in, said the carpenter, not having an atom of strength left in which to stand up. At the words, the door opened and a dapper little old man came in. His name was Geppetto, but to the boys of the neighborhood, he was called Polendina, or cornmeal mush on account of the wig he always wore, which was just the color of yellow corn. Geppetto had a very bad temper. Woe to the one who called him Polindina. He became as wild as a beast, and no one could soothe him. Good day, Master Antonio, said Geppetto. What are you doing on the floor? I'm teaching the ants their ABCs. Well, good luck to you. What brought you here from Geppetto? my legs, and it may flatter you to know, Mastro Antonio, that I've come to you to beg for a favor. Here I am at your service, answered the carpenter, raising himself onto his knees. This is a this morning a fine idea came to me. Let's hear it. 
I thought of making myself a beautiful wooden marionette. It must be wonderful, one that will be able to dance, fence, and turn somersaults. With it, I intend to go around the world to earn my crust of bread and cup of wine. What do you think of that? Bravo, Polendina, cried the same tiny voice which came from no one knew where. On hearing himself called Polendina, Master Geppetto turned the color of a red pepper and facing the carpenter said to him angrily, Why do you insult me? Who's insulting you? You called me Polendina. I did not. I suppose you think I did, yet I know it was you. No. Yes. No. Yes. And growing angrier each moment, they went from words to blows and finally began to scratch and bite and slap each other. When the fight was over, Mastro Antonio had Geppetto's yellow wig in his hands, and Geppetto found the carpenter's curly wig in his mouth. Give me back my wig, shouted Mastro Antonio in a surly voice. You return mine, and we'll be friends. The two little old men, each with his own wig back on his head, shook hands and swore to be good friends for the rest of their lives. Well then, Mastro Geppetto, said the carpenter, to show him he bore no rule. What is it that you want? I want a piece of wood to make a marionette. Will you give it to me? Mastro Antonio, very gladly, went immediately to his bench to get the piece of wood, which had frightened him so much. But as he was about to give it to his friend, with a violent jerk, it slipped out of his hands and hit against poor Geppetto's thin legs. Ah, is this the gentle way, Master Antonio, in which you make your gifts? You've made me almost lame. I swear to you I did not do it. It was I, of course. It's the fault of this piece of wood. You're right, but remember, you're the one that threw it at me. I did not throw it. Liar! Geppetto, don't insult me or I shall call you Polendina. Idiot! Polendina. Donkey. Polendina. Ugly monkey. Polendina. On hearing himself called Polendina for the third time, Geppetto lost his head with rage and threw himself upon the carpenter. Then and there they gave each other a sound thrashing. After this fight, Mastro Antonio had two more scratches on his nose, and Geppetto had two buttons missing from his coat. Thus, having settled their accounts, they shook hands and swore to be good friends for the rest of their lives. Then Geppetto went off to, with the fine piece of wood, thanked Mastro Antonio, and limped away towards home. I hope you enjoyed this podcast of Even Darker. Please give us a follow, a like, anything. Uh, I'm also checking the voicemails to see if I have anything from you listeners that I can use on future shows. I want to thank Jay for being our storyteller. Even Darker is made with Anchor and can be found on Spotify podcast platform. But I hope it will soon be available on many, many more. Thanks for being here.